This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker, an author, and an executive coach. And today, I am delighted to welcome Beth Fisher Yoshida to the show. Beth will talk about how she helps women of all ages make successful negotiations a reality. Beth, I am really excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you, Caroline. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to a stimulating conversation. As am I. So let's be real. Negotiating is not easy. And for women in particular, we, we've we learned through studies and research that it can be exponentially harder. So Tell me a little bit more about why negotiation is such an important idea to you and how you got involved in this work. Sure, I'd be happy to. So for me, when I think about negotiation, I think about it as building a relationship, having a conversation. It's a, it's a certain type of interaction, right? So it's not necessarily transactional, although some negotiations are, but it's really about, even in a transaction, who am I relation to this other person? I think one of the reasons it's so challenging is because, especially for women who have been socialized to be nice and to be nurturing, it's very challenging to advocate for yourself if you feel like the other person is losing out. So then you're not nice, right? So then that's a conflict in your head and in the story that you tell yourself. So I became interested in it because being an educator, both in a university and in organizations, doing training, coaching, and so on, I started to notice certain patterns that women have that men didn't necessarily have the same patterns. They have their own stuff, right? But I started to notice patterns, and I said, let me take another look at this a little bit more closely. So I read the existing research to see what's going on, and then I thought, you know what? I want to do my own interviews. I want to talk to women directly, which I did. And I sort of segmented it into women who are very junior in their careers, maybe five years or less just starting out, women who are mid-career, maybe 10 to 15 years and in that middle manager kind of range, or maybe deciding if they should pivot to a new career, and then women who are senior in their careers, 25 years and over. And I noticed that regardless of the industry, there were more commonalities across sort of your tenure in the workplace than it was the type of industry that it is. And then I decided, you know, I have a lot of interesting information from the research, interesting information from all the women I've worked with. I know a thing or two about negotiations. I put it together in the book. Well, you're being humble because you have 30 plus years of negotiation (laughs) research and practice. So well done you. You are a definitive subject matter expert. Would you agree that that negotiation as a word or as a concept can often be a trigger for women that just avoid it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I used to tell different people like, you know, it's just a conversation. It's just a conversation. And that changes people's attitudes about it. Yeah. I think there's so much hype around it and it's like, go out there and get what you deserve and get what you want. And there's so much pressure that I think the word itself does trigger bad associations. And so, you know, if you look at the neurosciences, we talk about neurons that fire together, wire together. So the more you are accustomed to being fearful or avoiding something, the stronger that tendency gets. So every time you hear it, and it's not a conscious thing, I think it's just subliminally that we automatically get some kind of feeling, maybe our heartbeat gets faster, or maybe we get sweaty palms or whatever it is, and we try to avoid rather than engage, which is really a disservice to us. 
So we're going to talk about your your techniques, your tactics, and your strategies soon because they're very compelling. But Beth, I am intrigued in the book about you write about how we discover the stories that we tell ourselves and that hold us back when it comes to advocating for ourselves in different situations. Tell us more about that because there's so much there to unearth where these stories came from, how they impact our behavior. So I'm going to pass the baton to you to tell us more about that. Oh, thank you. So, you know, yeah, there are so many different layers of stories. So our families, our schools, our religious institutions, our communities, their charge is to make sure that we become socialized or acculturated into our world, right? So that's their responsibility. And they do a pretty good job at it. So that means that all the messages you receive from when you're a very, very young child or infant sort of stay with you and influence how you behave. And a lot of times, It's not a conscious thing. You don't know the stories that are governing you unless you explicitly spend some time to develop self-awareness to say, what's going on here and why am I feeling the way I do, for better or worse? And where did that idea come from? Where did that story come from? Where did I learn that I should ask or I shouldn't ask or I should respect elders or I should challenge and advocate for myself? So I have, like I said, different techniques and I help people to figure out what the stories are, where they came from, how they influence, and then the other thing is, are they working for me or not? There are many stories that work, and so I would say, okay, keep them and amplify them, grow them to be even stronger than they are. And then the ones that are not working so well, they're getting in your way of achieving what you want to achieve or not making you feel good, then I say, you know what, press the delete button or modify them. See, how can I change that in a way that now works for me? And I have to say, it really is life work because you're never in exactly the same situation with exactly the same people discussing exactly the same issues in exactly the same context. And so you are constantly growing and changing. So you need to keep revisiting which stories are still prevalent and which ones are fading and which ones are really governing how you negotiate. So what's so powerful to me about what you just said is the ability to give ourselves permission to modify or even delete some of those stories that aren't serving us well. That's really powerful stuff. It is. And at the same time, it's not necessarily easy. So I don't want to make yeah. it very light because yeah. it's so wrapped up in our identity that if I change a story, I'm like, what? All these years I believed this. And now you're telling, now I'm thinking, maybe that's not working for me. So it really, it depends on the strength of the story and how core it is to who you are, how easy it is. Because the more central it is to your identity, the more embedded it is, the deeper the habit or the pattern, and then the harder it is to change. I realize this is very multi-layered and complex. So honoring that we're trying to simplify it to tell a new story to this global audience, might you pick an example from the book that walks us through the story and how it was modified or amplified to serve the end person? Yeah. So one thing that comes to mind is the, uh, in the, in the end of the book, I have three well-developed case studies. And one is about, I think it's Sheila and Sam, the brother and sister, and they have a relationship from growing up, but now they're adults, they're in their thirties and they have an aging parent and they have to figure out what to do about the parent because one feels that He's really losing it and we need to have more care for him. And the other person feels, no, not so much. I think we still have time. But part of their relationship is not so much about the parent. It's really about who they are to each other and the stories that they have carried over the years. 
So Sheila is the older sister. She feels more responsible. She's always been more responsible. So she doesn't necessarily recognize that Sam has grown and developed and he has a tremendous amount of responsibility in his career, in his workplace, but she's not acknowledging that. She's not carrying that over to say, well, you know, maybe Sam can handle more responsibilities there. And then um, Sam also doesn't necessarily change his story about what Sheila is. He just thinks, okay, she's a mother now and she's just home doing her thing, not recognizing how she can multitask and do many different things as well. And also not relying on her to be the responsible one. Because very often one of us can say, oh yeah, I want to take on more responsibility, but we don't necessarily do anything. And if we are the ones, especially older siblings, if we are the ones who are doing a lot and not opening up that space and waiting and being patient for the other person to step in, then we're perpetuating that same dynamic. So they needed to change their idea about who each other was and what their contribution could be to their relationship and to their relationship as siblings and as children of this parent. Mm. That's such a powerful story. Yeah, it does. Thank you. Thank you for that. You've also conducted some incredible new research that reveals about the brain, our language and our emotions and how they relate to, for the, for the, um, this audience for women and how we negotiate or not. So tell us more about that research. Yeah. So I'm not a brain researcher. Let's just get that clear. I do look at existing research for the sciences. And I think one of the things is we have so many more techniques now to understand what's going on in the brain. So it's really fascinating how they do so much MRI uh, imaging and you can see which parts of your brain get activated and so on. But even the simple uh, thing I mentioned before about the Hebbian theory of the neurons that fire together, wire together. So if we pair anxiety with the word negotiation, because words and language also make an imprint in our brains, then that is a pairing that I say, let's try to undo that. So we can't only undo that unless we have like a substitute, right? So I'm saying, okay, what if we start to pair negotiation with effort? So it doesn't matter if you actually get the outcome you want up front, what matters is that you prepared for it and that you did it, you engaged. Mm. And that's a new way of congratulating yourself. And you start to make that imprint in your brain. Now, your tendency will still be going towards a stronger imprint. But if you continue to build, intentionally build that other imprint, then now you're starting to have mixed responses and shifting over eventually to the response that you want, which is to be congratulating yourself. And I say that seriously, congratulate yourself just for showing up. Mm, Love it. Beth, we'll be right back after a quick break. I'd like to tell you about a special offer. If you want to bring your podcast to life or up your podcast game, you can get up to two months of free podcasting service with Libsyn using my special code CDHWORK. The Libsyn team will get your podcast on Apple and Spotify and give you access to critical stats and all the support you need to sound your best and grow your show. Use my special code CDHWORK. the right speaker for your event is a tremendous responsibility. You need a speaker who will work within your budget and engage your audience. 
Whether you're looking to retain or grow top talent, create a healthy workplace culture, or prevent burnout in your organization, I can create customized content to help you recharge, reignite, or reinvent your career. Let's talk about how I can help you achieve your special event goals. Connect with me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So I'd love to know from your work writing the book and, and the research about studying women and their negotiation habits, was anything surprising that, that you didn't expect? Yes, my own story. So one thing that was surprising is as I'm writing the book, I'm writing, I'm writing, and then every once in a while I would stop and I would say, who are you to write this book? Why do you think you know about women and negotiation? And then I would stop myself from that story and I'd say, oh my God, going to that like meta level where you sort of look down at yourself thinking, I can't believe I'm doing the same thing that I'm writing about. And then I realized, okay, Beth, you've spoken to hundreds of women. You have all those years experience, blah, 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 building up my own story, reminding myself about the fact that I do have something to say because of all of those experiences I mentioned. And so that gave me the confidence again to continue writing. So regardless of how self-aware we think we are, there are always those moments when self-doubt can come in. But as long as you just sort of pause and say, okay, there's some self-doubt. Where's that coming from? How do I rectify that? Then you can move on and go. So that was surprising to me. And I realized that we all have them, and it really is life work. It reinforced that concept for me. So let's talk about what is negotiable and what isn't. I think this conversation may surprise some of our global listeners. Well, I think for me, when I think about what's negotiable, it could be almost anything except your values. I think that's one of the places where I draw the line because you know, the word compromise, I was just speaking to somebody about that the other day, and the person said, I don't use that word because it, it could mean compromising your own values, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that we are trying to collaborate. So he used the term common ground, which is quite interesting too. But if you think about compromising yourself towards some outcome that you think you want, then at the end of the day, you're getting what you think you want, but how do you feel about yourself because you've compromised yourself? So I think means don't necessarily justify the end. I think you have to really think about the whole process of how you're engaging. And that's why for me, the act of engaging and preparing and building relationship is more important than the outcome in general. Of course, there might be specific situations where it's not, but in general, how you're developing yourself in that relationship to me is more critical than the outcome. So Beth, let's get granular. You have these incredible foolproof strategies to advocate for what you want at home and in the workplace, in the book. Certainly, no, we don't have time to go into all five. So pick one and perhaps share how uh, this strategy can help those listening advocate for themselves. Are you talking about the like avoidance and compassion? Yes. yes. So yes. all five strategies have a time and place. You need to decide which one is appropriate for the situation. Of course, I advocate for collaboration as an approach. However, the downside of collaboration is it does take a lot of time because one thing that's a component of collaboration is trust. And if you don't have trust or something's happened where trust is lost, then it's going to take a lot of time to rebuild that. Plus, there is an exchange of information. However, 
the upside of collaboration is that both parties get what they want and need from the negotiation. Now, it doesn't mean that what you go in with is what you end up with. Because what happens is we have what we call positions and we advocate for something, but it may not really satisfy what we need. Or there might be other ways of satisfying the need that surface in the course of the conversation that happens during the negotiation. So at the end of the day, if you if the relationship's important and you want to invest the time and energy into this, then I think collaboration would be one where you want to go you have to know yourself, you have to know what the other party wants and needs, and you have to be willing to invest the time and energy in the negotiation. So what is your insight and in, in coaching for this global audience when they know they've got an uncomfortable situation or a challenging environment? So already, you know, the, the stress is, is rising because the negotiation is going to be tricky. Yeah, I would say to practice with somebody who you trust, who can give you reliable feedback. Do not negotiate with the most challenging person around the most challenging issue without any prep or feedback on that. And, you know, everybody has the ability to do something different. Everybody has the ability to exert some level of agency to make a difference and become better. And you have to do that with motivation. So you have to really want to make a difference. And then with practicing and learning different kinds of skills, using different kinds of tools, some of which I advocate in my book. And then you can enhance your skills, get feedback, practice, and then you sort of develop in that way. You also write so beautifully about how it's important for us to be creative and innovative and not go into a negotiation with only one outcome in yes, mind. Yes, thank you for that. So I love to do what I would call scenario planning. And I imagine yeah. up front, okay. I've done some of my prep work. Now, let me see. If I say this, what do I think the other person might say? And then I anticipate that. And then I have a response. I say, well, if I say it, they may say something different. So I go A, B, C, D, E. And I have like several different possibilities of what they might respond with. For example, they may say, wow, great, let's do it. And then I have to come back with an answer. Or they may say, no way, impossible. And then I have to figure out how do I get past that no to something else? And then everything in between, well, I'm not sure. What do you think about it? Or maybe I need to talk to somebody else. I mean, many, many different responses. But I need to know what they might say and what I'm going to say if they go there. And even if a sixth scenario that I didn't plan comes up, I still have the confidence and the agility to, because I've prepared those other scenarios to come out with a question so I can buy myself more time and regroup and then think about how to respond to that new scenario that's popped up. I love the word agility there and and certainly confidence rings true as well. What I'm hearing, Beth, is this beautiful permission you're giving everyone to take their own agency and, and know that they've got the capacity to change, to negotiate at any time. Uh, we can tap this skill over and over again. What's one bit of parting wisdom that you want to share with this global audience about finding that agility and finding that confidence? I think the more you prepare, and I don't want to say over-prepare, because they say like, what is it, analysis, paralysis, not over-prepare, but prepare enough that you feel like, okay, I have some possibilities about which way to go. I feel confident enough. And remember, pair effort with negotiation to create that new dynamic and that new pattern in your brain so that even just showing up works and you can congratulate yourself for that. 
That's fantastic. Beth, I learned so much from you today. I love your new book. Let me tell this global audience the title so they can buy it quickly. It's called New Story, New Power, A Woman's Guide to Negotiation. And of course, it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers. But Beth, if you would be so kind, I know many of these listeners today are going to want to connect with you online. So how might they find you? Oh, I look forward to that. I have a website, BethFisherYoshida, all one word, dot com. And please contact me through there. I'd love to have some follow-up conversations. And I so enjoyed our conversation today, Caroline. Thank you. I did too, Beth, and I learned a lot from you. Love the new book, and I wish you continued success. Thank you so much. Your Working Life is now available on all major podcast platforms, and I want to hear from you. So let me know how we're doing. You can find me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. And a special shout out to my extraordinary podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. We now have listeners in 16 countries around the world. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.